Hello, and welcome to the Fun and Sobriety Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan, and I am an alcoholic. Today is another solo episode of the Fun and Sobriety Podcast. Um, this is probably the last one I'm going to put out for a, a little while, um, similar to the most recent break that I've taken. Um, although, I think when I come back, I might officially designate it as season two, air quotes. Um, but it's just, I've got a lot of things coming up. Uh, in the very near future, starting tomorrow. Um, and I just know myself, and I know I won't be able to make time for this, especially not to, not in the way that I, I, I want to be able to make time for it. So rather than half-ass it, I'll just leave it on hiatus for a while. Um, anyway, uh, today I'm recording um, about a week later than I had anticipated. Um, my, my plan was to record closer to New Year's as kind of a follow-up to the Christmas Eve. Uh, my most recent episode, the Christmas Eve episode, follow-up with a New Year's Eve type episode, but I, I, I missed the date on that. And and um, I had planned to record on January 4th, um, and in you know, in commemoration of a significant event in my life in my history, uh, but that night, um, my son decided he wanted to hang out and watch a movie with me, which I figured was probably more prescient at the time, since you know, teenagers, you know, as they they get older, kids almost eighteen, got to take advantage of any opportunity I, I I get to spend some time with the kid before. Uh, he disappears from my life altogether, right? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so anyway, I missed that deadline, and then uh, the world just kind of exploded. Um, I'm recording this the Sunday after um, the apparent coup attempt. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sensitive to choosing language that might offend certain people in describing the events that transpired January 6th in in Washington DC, but at the same time, I, I, I find it hard to see that as anything other than, you know, I, maybe a bumbling coup attempt, but a coup attempt nonetheless. And, um, I, I feel, I don't feel like I'm alone in the aftermath of that being kind of consumed by, uh, doom scrolling, like constantly returning to my, phone for more information of what the hell's going on on a daily basis. Um, so I felt distracted is my point. Um, and in a way it all kind of ties in or potentially ties back to the topic that I was intending to talk about today. Um, you know, today and, and a, a week or so ago when I intended to talk, uh, on January 4th, um, because, the the general idea that the general concept that was going through my mind when I thought of what I would talk about is that we we are we're more than our worst days you know our the the worst thing that's ever happened to us the worst things that we've ever done 
do not necessarily define us for the rest of our lives. Um, and you know, that's a, I, I, that's a tough one to articulate. Um, because as, you know, as I'm saying the words, there's obvious, obviously many things that have a dramatic and permanent impact on your own life and on the lives of others that make it difficult for that concept to be accepted. Um, you know, obviously I'm talking about murder or homicide or manslaughter or, you know, uh, raping, raping a small child, um, you know, horrific, monstrous acts. And I don't, I don't want to touch on those topics right now. I'm not, I'm not speaking of that level of monstrosity, although my guess is in a fundamental way, you know, deep down at the core level, it still applies there. Although the amount of humanity that's left, depending on how awful the event was, may be tough to defend, but I'm just referring more to the worst shit that we as average, regular, air quote, regular people do in our lives. You know, the things that are the worst things that we could ever care to have done or hope that we will ever do in, in our future, those do not define us exclusively, right? They're part of our story. And in my opinion, in order to have any hope of moving forward in our lives, we have to fully acknowledge and fully embrace the magnitude and severity of whatever that awful thing is. Um, But it doesn't have to define us. And as I'm picking my words here somewhat carefully, I'm, I'm fully conscious of, of how that applies to, you know, those events the other day. Um, I'm, 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 like so many of us, I'm, you know, I'm seeing pictures of the people storming into the Capitol and acting like buffoons and picking up the the tables and and or the podium and and whatever sitting at the desk of the the president of the speaker's uh, desk or chair and you know acting like fools and then a day later going online to say how you know how sorry they are for their behavior and you know I'm I'm like many of us who just see that and like kind of shrug it off as, you know, tough shit, dude. (laughs) You acted like an idiot and you have consequences. Um, And that is true, right? Like, nobody who does anything intentionally, especially intentionally, deserves to walk away from it simply by apologizing. Of course not. And I don't really know any of those people, so I don't really care whether or not they... uh, are defined by this event for the rest of their lives. But I do think that if they themselves have any hope of moving forward and having well-being in their own lives, they're going to have to square, you know, what they've done. And that's off topic from a sobriety podcast in a way, since I'm not talking about sobriety, but in a way it it it's right here 
um, on topic, I guess, for lack of a better way to get myself back to what I'm trying to say. Um, because again, the idea is we have to acknowledge the wreckage of our past. We have to acknowledge what, you know, I, I have to acknowledge for my own well-being what I have done, the things that have occurred as a result of my behavior and specifically when it came to drinking, the results of my, you know, the, the things that happened to me as a result of my drinking, the things that happened to other people as a result. Um, I have to make peace with that internally before I have any hope of moving forward. Um, and this is why I wanted to, of moving forward and having a graceful, full, um, peaceful life, any hope of having that, right? I, I, I don't get that just because I do or make an attempt to, to make peace with, with the wreckage of my past and, the, and the, the damage that I've done, but I have no hope of achieving any kind of well-being if I don't attempt that, right? Like it's a, it's not an either or in terms of the outcome, but it's definitely in terms of the results, but it's definitely an either or in terms of the effort put in. And um, and this is why I was intending to record this on January 4th, just to be dramatic about it, I suppose, uh, because on January 4th of 2009, um, I was going to say I drank myself into a seizure, but that, that doesn't quite square. I had a seizure on January 4th, a grand mal seizure, um, because I attempted to not drink for, I don't know, six or eight hours. And, you know, after six or eight hours of not drinking, my body at that point was incapable of sustaining itself. And I, you know, had a grand mal seizure. Um, I wound up in the ER and then the ICU. And then that's where I learned that if your body reaches the point where it's physically dependent upon alcohol, if you've, you know, re, I don't know, redefined your blood alcohol content and, and your blood pressure expectations so that it accommodates a consistently high amount of alcohol and then you've removed that, potentially your, your heart can stop beating. I didn't know that. I learned that um, pretty close to the hard way. Um, and that was uh fucked up right i mean it's a it's a it's a fucked up thing to think about i i have vivid memories of being in the icu i have foggy memories of being um i guess roused by paramedics uh in my parents bathroom and then being carried in a stretcher to an ambulance um i have far too vivid memories of uh, shitting my pants uh, a few hours later when my friend was visiting me and I was on the, the mellow out, cool down meds that they were giving me in order for me to detox in a controlled and safe environment. Uh, one of the uh, <laughs> repercussions of which was uh, lack of control of my sphincter muscle. <laughs> So I recall uh, shitting my pants mid-conversation with my friend and 
laughing hysterically about it as I'm emptying my diaper. Um, and I genuinely don't know if he thought it was as funny as I did. <laughs> but, you know, that, uh, that's the kind of, that's the kind of event that's impossible to not be humbled by. Right. I mean, I, well, I suppose it's not impossible, but for me, it was impossible to not be humbled um, and not be come not become acutely aware of how gone I had become. Right. How utterly powerless over getting drunk I had become. Right. Like I, I had drank myself to a spot where I literally couldn't not do it. Right. And I was a PhD engineer with a house and three children and a wife and two cars and a cat and, or did we have a dog at that point? I don't fucking know, you know, and I, you know, I was, I, I had a good career. These were all things that I had lost in the months preceding the seizure, but, you know, the years leading up to that, these were the things of my life. These were the the things that defined me. I was in exceptional, uh, I was exceptionally fit. I, I had actual ripples in my stomach muscles that I've never had before that and have definitely not achieved since. Like in terms of on paper of the things that I would have ascribed as being successful, I was pretty close, you know what I mean? And yet I'd still wound up having a seizure after refusing to feed my body alcohol for roughly eight hours. So yeah, I... I felt pretty pathetic after that, right? And and I, I still had a pretty good ego, pretty good bravado to keep that um, feeling of shame stuffed down. But it was there. It was there when I was laying there alone at night, you know, in the dark in the hospital, truly unsure what was coming next, what I could possibly do next, what could possibly happen to me next, you know? There's just this... <laughs> deep ingrained sense that I was a fucking loser and that I was no good and that I was useless and worthless and and I kept that at bay with with my you know bravado I you know I I, I cracked jokes I, I laughed at shitting my pants right like I, I I I did whatever internal thing I could do to protect my my psyche in that moment and in that time all the while fully aware that I did not like myself. I did not like who I'd become. And I was terrified because I didn't know where I was going to go next. I didn't know what I could possibly do to recover from that, right? Like, there's plenty of things you you think you're you're never going to have happen. I, well, maybe not. There's, I, I don't, I, it never occurred to me that something like that would happen to me, right? Like, I thought maybe I'd get in an accident because I drove around drunk all the time, but and it, I definitely didn't think I'd be having a seizure and shitting my pants and, and winding up in rehab, right? That, those were not things on the agenda.
you know, the fucked up thing is I didn't even quit drinking after that, right? I mean, I did for a while, but I wound up drinking again, I guess is a better way to put it. And, um, which just makes the drama of, you know, drinking myself, getting myself addicted to the point where I have a seizure when I try and stop drinking, that just makes it all the more insane that I would drink again. And makes the significance of that day even that much more dramatic um, in a way, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to build up here as I describe it. Um, trying to get across the, the impression of how significant it was and how significant I still feel it was and, and, and it is. Because I also don't feel like that person anymore. I know I'm not that person anymore. I don't recognize that person anymore. I don't recognize, I don't recognize so much of who I was throughout a great deal of my life. The majority of which being the period when I was drinking, the period when I was living basically two lives at once, right? Like that I needed to be one person to the outside world so that I could be the drinking guy on my inside world. And that fissure ran deep in it, you know. It's just not melodramatic to say it ruined my life. Um, but I'm not that person anymore. That's That day, I have the luxury of having to remind myself about that day now. Like for obviously, or, or not, I suppose, but obviously for the first couple of years, uh, when January 4th would roll around, I'd just have this weird tightening in my lower back and I'd want to go to a bunch of meetings and I'd want to kind of baby myself and coddle myself because, you know, January 4th, 2010, I, I, I was not doing great. I was sober and I, I felt so much better than I had in years. And, and I mean, arguably at that point I was doing the best that I had been doing in years, right? I was happy and, uh, as satisfied as someone with an impressive amount of debt and overhead can be, uh, living in his parents' uh, basement. But, you know, again, the, the middle of the night, staring at the dark, contemplating my life moments, I knew I had a long way to go. And every January 4th, for several years, it would be roughly that same, like, kind of drumbeat of, yeah, you're kind of fucked. Yeah, you're kind of a loser. Yeah, you've got a nice stiff upper lip. You're putting on a good show, but you're still that fucking kid who almost had a fucking, who almost died in a bathtub, right? Like that, that kind of drumbeat, that kind of kick in my own ass, that, that, that nonstop beating myself up over the worst fucking thing that I'd done to myself. You know, that was tough. I had to let that go as best as I could. I had to pretend to let it go so that I could eventually let it go, right? Like I, I spoke about that stuff with my sponsor and, you know, he was a godhead. You know, he used the terms, you know, he, 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 his, his, his way of articulating it was, you know, God has forgiven you. So you think you're more than God by 
you know, why, why can't you forgive yourself? You think you have more on yourself than God or, or something to that effect, which again, I, I wasn't all bought into any of that, but I understood what he was trying to say. And it's, you know, I, I can't move forward in my life if I can't get past that moment. Right. That, and, and I, I, intimately understood that I understood that every January 4th that would roll around and I would have to rebuild myself in the morning. And, and yeah, it wasn't a complete rebuild. It, sometimes it just took some meditation and a cup of coffee, but it was still there and it still re- required conscious effort, conscious, con- <laughs> conscious attention, uh, to my own well-being, to where I was in order for me to take a few breaths and go, man, you're okay right? Like you're not in that moment. You're not putting yourself in that same position anymore. You know, it's, it's okay. That happened. It was awful. It was terrible. It's terrible. All the events, all the things that I did to get myself to that spot, it's all terrible. It's all ugly. It's all something I never want to repeat again. It's all, you know, fill in the blanks. Absolutely. But it's also not me today. And I feel like that is a important message. That's an important message for, for anyone. It's an important message for anyone. It's an important message for people in sobriety, especially in early sobriety. You know, because nobody wants to get sober. Nobody comes to being to recovery. Nobody comes to sobriety without some number of ugly, ugly, embarrassing awful, shitty, you know, feelings that make them feel like shit deep inside that have happened to them. It just is the truth. And those are all there and those are all real and those all have to be acknowledged and embraced and the ugliness and the self-hatred and the self-loathing needs to be walked through and embraced in and of itself. It's not even just the the ugliness of the event, but the ugliness of feeling ugly about ourselves has to also be walked through and accepted and taken into our heart and forgiven, right? I mean, that's the word. I had to learn to forgive myself for doing that to myself, right? And I don't even, I'm not even going to pretend to understand what that means. I just know that when I think about that person when I think about me in that scenario, and I think about me waking up naked in my fucking parents' bathroom with a room full of paramedics, with my stepmom sitting there, you know, in the room. I don't remember exactly where. I guess I'm very foggy. You know. I just, I no longer feel the loathing and... I don't no longer despise myself for all that. It just is one more thing that happened to me. And again, like that's important for everyone. And I I I don't I don't want to draw some cheesy parallel to the events that have been going on in the world and, and in politics and in just the fucking life uh, other than to say that, you know, I I am doing my best to stay neutral when it comes to the sober people in my life, right? Like, we're all connected via social media in ways that 
are unfamiliar, even though we, we're still, I mean, they're unfamiliar at our core, right? Like it's fun to like share stupid memes and, and funny ideas on TV shows and movies or whatever. But when we get into politics and we get into division, it's tough to remain neutral with regards to the sober people in my life because that's not how I want to say it. It's tough to remain neutral, period. And with regards to the peop- the sober people in my life, I have to make a conscious effort to remember the thing that binds me to this person, the thing that I have an actual connection with this person over has nothing to do with any of this. And it's easy to lose sight of that when I see people who, in my opinion, hold opinions that are abhorrent to me, right? And I'm not talking... I'm not talking outright like white supremacy, right? That that's an easy thing to me for me to just let go of. But people who just are conservative, right? I'm not conservative, um, at least not politically, or at least not by def- definition. I I don't know what the right term is. I I feel like it's all become so diffuse. <sighs> and so difficult to just wrap my hands around and I guess part of what troubles me in that is like I don't want that to be a part of any of the sobriety stuff right I mean yeah that's a rose colored glasses that's a pie in the sky type of approach or or wish or at least it's starting to feel that way and I, I I'm not clear on exactly what I expect or from myself definitely not what I expect from others but from what I expect from myself other than there has to be a way to be strong in my own convictions while remaining neutral um, with regards to uh, people in sobriety And I feel like that that's not that's not quite what I'm trying to say. That sounds wrong. Sounds like it's off base. What I'm trying to say is when it comes to sobriety, when it comes to recovery, that's the thing that binds me to other people. That's the that's the connection I share with anyone in recovery, right? Like I have this thing inside of me and they have that sim or a similar enough thing inside of them that I relate to them on that specific level and the rest of this stuff in that avenue at least the rest of the world really falls away and is less important you know it's it's a life or death moment you know at least to the analogy that I'm I'm thinking of right is when it comes to that, the only thing that matters is that this, you know a person reaching out for help, and I'm there if I can be there for them, right? And I'm, I guess that's the struggle. Is I'm trying to find that connectivity, that desire to remain in that headspace, while simultaneously be, being aware, more aware than is probably useful, of other aspects of people in my life's 
or or you know periphery of my life's perspective on things that I fundamentally disagree with and those are you know that's that's a difficult spot to be in I, I assume it's the you know it's the basis of uh, the Hippocratic Oath, in a way, right? Is you do no harm, right? You don't you don't base the decisions and and your approach to helping other people. I mean, obviously, <laughs> the Hippocratic Oath just being a reference, not obviously something that applies. But don't we don't I don't want to base my willingness to be there for another person upon anything other than their desire to seek help, right? And that's where I sit, right? And I and I paused right there because it is true. I am here for anybody who is seeking help and reaches out to me or is, you know, in, in my bubble or sphere of people that uh, I'm aware of and I know they need help and there's someone that I would reach out to or, or whatever the, the, the thing being. I mean, I am there. But contained in that is a curation, right? Like I, I have and I actively avoid people who are beyond the pale, as it were, right? Like, and that's just to, to say that if I'm, I'm probably not going to make much effort for someone who is espousing hate and negativity um, but then follows it all up with like, but I'm trying to get sober, brother, right? Like, and that's not even a hypocritical thing because contained within my sense of what recovery is, you know, as I just said a few minutes ago, a desire to change, a desire to embrace what I have done in order to recover from it, right? And certain aspects of, you know, I mean, yes, when it comes to getting clean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll, 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 I'll give the thumbs up and say, yes, you know, don't drink, don't use. And, you know, you'll start to feel better, presumably. Um, but there's an idea of emotional sobriety. And, and that's to say, you know, simply removing the chemical that we've come to rely on doesn't make us sober. I mean, it makes us, you know, chemically sober, I suppose, but without trying to come up with new ways of coping with the world and seeing the world and embracing the world and moving forward and, you know, without coming up with a new way to try and be regular, we're just going to be insane people, right? Like that's anyone who has attempted to quit using or quit drinking on their own and made no other effort other than to sit on their hands and refuse to drink or use can attest at some point without any other attempt to make some kind of spiritual growth, be it meditation or exercise or, or whatever it is to fill and, and fulfill ourselves, we just become cranky pieces of shit. And anyone who espouses hatred and negativity and dismissiveness towards other people in a way that, in my opinion at least, reflects those espoused by a certain high percentage of people in this country today, they don't 
fall under the heading of somebody who's genuinely attempting to look at their own lives and look at the impact of their decisions and their behavior upon themselves and upon the world around them. And without that attempt, I don't see them as being genuinely approaching anything, but let alone a recovery. So I suppose what I'm saying is I I am here for anybody who's seeking recovery. I'm here for anybody who's seeking sobriety and recovery. But contained in that is a motivation, a self-motivation, a desire to change themselves and change who they are, right? Hmm. I mean, it's, it's I suppose, possible to, to read what I just said as a judgmental mentality, and, and, and I'm not intending it that way. And if that's how it comes across, then I, I suppose it would be bare discussing, because I'm, I'm not. I'm not being judgmental. And, and again, if somebody is truly falling apart, even if they're someone who is horrible, you know, air quotes, somebody who I would just never, ever want to associate with, if they needed my help and they were dying in that moment, of course I would be there. And I would also be capable of walking away once that urgency and emergency had passed, unless they were willing to do more than the bare minimum amount of work to change. And I suppose that's I suppose that's part of why when I see the people, you know, after, in the aftermath of that whatever re- ding-dong coup attempt or whatever it was, you know, just the, the mob that rushed the D.C. Capitol, you know, and see people ruefully regretting it on the news and in social media or whatever, like, part of me, that's the bare minimum, right? That's the the grace of like, yeah, okay, well, acknowledging that that was a mistake is good, but that doesn't change the mentality of what got you there. You know? And, again, this is a sobriety podcast. There's an element of emotional sobriety contained that can that I don't see being on display in any of the people that I saw associated with that mob, right? That's what frightens me with that is presumably they're not all fucking drunk, although my guess is there was plenty of uh, intoxicated people there, even if you want to register just drunk on the the mob uh, energy, right? I mean, that's... However, I, I, I just said that clunky, but I'm sure there's a, a more official term for that because there is a switch that goes off inside of us when we're in a mob, right? Like that's a well-understood phenomenon or at least well-documented. Um, and no doubt that's what was overcome those people and that's you know part of why they're like looking back going, oh God, I really regret that. Okay, but something was going on inside of their lives. Something is amiss in their own mental faculties in a way that feels familiar to my own self when I was incapable of stopping hurting myself, when I was incapable of letting go of my crutch, as I'll call it now, but at the time it was my fucking strength, and stopping, right? Like, 
towards the end, you know, leading up to January 4th, 2009, I, I was hiding in my car, driving around in the gray over, you know, uh, inversion air of the North End during the day and just drinking small bottles of wine, the little four-pack that you can get in my car and parking somewhere just randomly in the North End so I could just kind of crash because I just wanted to wait it out in, and, and, you know, so I could wait out the day is what I mean, and then I could go hang out at night when no one could see me, you know, and, and that kind of, like, repetitive, like, I know it's not healthy, but it's also what I need, and it makes me feel better. And I, I feel when I see the group of people acting a fool, as all of those people in the images that I've seen were acting a fool, I see that. I see some reflection of something is off kilter with these people in a way that they probably don't even register. And, you know, certainly there's a core set of people in there who knew exactly what they were doing, but I'm willing to, to accept that there was plenty of people in there who are drunk on their own delusions, I suppose. Um, and, and feeling like this is the smart thing to be doing with themselves on that day. I mean, obviously most of them had to fly there. I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't like getting in the weeds with politics for lack of a better term although this doesn't even seem like politics it seems like evidence of pure dangerous delusion running amok in the world today and I, I'm I you know it's it's not unlike the BLM rallies that occurred in Boise earlier this summer that I, I spoke about on here that in a way it's impossible to not involve that in in this podcast in because it's it's life right recovery is life and this is part of life for better or worse right now unfortunately this is part of my life our lives and it has to be squared with recovery at some point because recovery has to square with all of my life. So when I catch wind that someone who I, I might respect or at least have a fondness for when it comes to them as a re person in recovery, and then I, I catch wind that they are, uh, you know, whatever, someone who feels vehemently... Uh, strongly against wearing a mask because of some inane sense that they're losing their, their liberties and it's one step away from the guillotine. I'm not sure what the all-encompassing powerful thought process is there, but I, I know that it's true. And when I, I catch wind of that, it causes me, I, I feel a, a need to pause and within myself. Because it kind of puts that sense of, of I'm here for this person for this purpose. I'm here for this person because they're another person in recovery and I'm a person in recovery and that's it. Right? And, and it puts that to the test insofar as does this mean now that I can't see this person as a human being anymore? 
And does this mean, especially if I get the sense that they don't see me as one, right? And even as I'm saying that, I know the, I know the, the, you know, the air quotes correct answer is no. You know, I'm, I, I see them as a person and I'm there for them in the same way that I would be there for someone who agrees with me on all aspects, um, because that's the right way to be. Now I'm saying that I'm not, I'm not claiming that that I hold that as solidly in my heart as I, you know, perhaps could, you know, if I were a saint, then that would be at the right level. If I were, if I were the Jesus, right, that's the, the ultimate sense that that, or the Buddha or whatever would, would hold that pure love in their heart. Maybe. But that's also the ex not the expectation, that's the hope, that's the that's the drive, that's the goal of of sobriety and recovery for me is to live a grounded, peaceful existence. And setting aside whatever ire I have in my heart and in my head towards somebody who acts a fool, who holds utterly inane in my opinion utterly inane perspectives you know so long as they're not genuinely dangerous perspectives I suppose it is the goal of recovery to be just there right to be there for them um and I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm mistaking my recovery for a a sense of of almost whatever B- Buddhist level of grounding and and um, uh, loving kindness or whatever you call it. Right? I, I I probably am because I don't see a distinction between that. I I I've, I've always pictured recovery and the way that I approach it as being the prism through which I myself am seeking that deeper connection with the universe, deeper connection with my world around me, my connection to the world, and through that, my connection to other people. I don't know. I am rambling. That is true. But I suppose it still just comes back to that idea that no matter what we've done in our lives, we're more than just the worst things that's ever happened to us, the worst things that we've ever done, right? Or at least we can be more than that, right? We have the opportunity, if we are willing to face the consequences of our actions, if we are willing to honestly and humbly and openly embrace the consequences and the necessary changes that must be made in order to move forward and have a more grounded and um, I don't know, peaceful existence, then as long as that, that possibility exists, we are capable and we're capable of doing it. We are, we are not, you know, we're not remanded to be defined by those worst things that have happened to us that we've done. We, we can recover, we can proceed forward. And I, you know, I speak that as generally as I can, <clears throat> excuse me, with not only my own history in, in my head, but also 
the people involved in the events of the last week, right? Like those people, I'm, I'm not saying that I suspect that they're going to do this. The people that, that are that moved by whatever delusion is moving them, I doubt that they're going to do it, but they have that in them. And, or at least as being humans, they have it in them, whether or not they're going to make any effort to grow from this moment. You know, it's up to each and every one of them to even acknowledge what, let alone attempt to do. But me, for me, that's the best I can hope for from that group of people, right? Is an awareness of like, oh shit, things have really come off the rails and hopefully an attempt to think about why that might be and not thinking about it in terms of what the world has done to them, but in terms of what they are doing to themselves and looking at their perspective on the world, what that is doing to themselves. Because again, it's the same thing that I've had to do in my own recovery. It's the same thing anyone who's had to recover from anything, especially an addiction, has had to do is take a sober, rational, and, you know, unflattering look at everything that, every decision I made, every choice I made, every step I took to get me to where I was. And, you know, be willing to accept any and all places where my decisions were just flat out the wrong ones. And my actions were just flat out the worst or the, the not not the best that they could have been. Embrace that, acknowledge it, move forward in the hopes that the next time any kind of similar thing comes up, I can do differently. Because that's where I am today, right? Like I, I took that approach early when I finally found recovery. And I finally listened to my sponsor and reinterpreted his words in a way that would resonate with me and, and accepted, yeah, I cannot move forward in my life if all I do is eat my own fucking hat anytime I think about the negative shit I've done. Anytime I think about waking up, coming to in the bathtub. Anytime I think about all the negative shit that I did to impact my family, right? Like, all that stuff, I don't hide from it. I don't pretend that I didn't do it. I don't downplay it by any stretch. But at the same time, I don't let it define me anymore, right? I don't let it eat me alive anymore. I mean, in a way, it utterly defines me, I suppose. But that's just a nuance of what we're talking about, what we're, what I'm talking about. So anyway, that was... Sort of what I wanted to talk about about a week ago, layered with a bunch of nonsense about the shit that's been going on for the last week. And as I said at the beginning, this is probably the last one that I'll put out for a while. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going back to school. I don't mean to make it sound like there's some weird thing coming up in my life. I just am I'm working full time and will be doing school part time after work. And I just will be tapped out. And, um, that doesn't mean that I'm not here if anyone listening to this wants to reach out. I will make time, you know, because life is fucking hard, man. Life is hard, and life is long, and it's difficult, and it eats us up. It eats us up. 
And at the same time, it's fucking short, and we only get one time through. And I know I'm hoping to make the best of the rest of the time that I've got. Just part of why I'm going back to school, y'all. So, yeah, if you need to reach out to me, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook. You can reach me through the contact us link here at eavesdrop.com. But, you know, I love all of you. And if you're in recovery, I really, my heart really, really goes out to you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening. Drop.